Well, looking at our birthdays for today, Sunday, October 22nd, we have two listeners on our list. First of all, we'd like to say happy, happy birthday to Ben uh, uh, Barbara uh, Winneke. And, and Barbara, that's W-I-E-N-K-E. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, Barbara uh, lives in Des Moines, and Barbara, we really wish you a very happy birthday. And then Stephen D. Uh, Hag Moser, that's H-A-G-E-M-O-S-E-R. Stephen, I hope I pronounced that right. We are really hoping that you have a wonderful birthday. All of us here at IRIS wish Stephen and Barbara, both of Des Moines, very, very happy birthdays. You're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service. If you are hearing this on your television on Iowa PBS and you are not a registered IRIS user, please give us a call at 515-243-6833 so we can get you on our list. We need to know who is listening in order to keep our services free. And now we're going to turn the microphone back over to Ed, and he has got some news articles for us from the Des Moines uh, Metro section. Thank you, David. Our first article from the Metro area is Expect More 55 Plus Developments in the Metro Area. A developer working on three senior living communities in the Des Moines metro expects demand for such homes will continue to grow as population ages and people's post-pandemic desires change to wanting more luxury amenities close to home. J. Ross Nichols and Brian Schurner, partners in Mavencrux Development, showed the Des Moines Register around Amara Vita at Shadow Creek, a community of 58 standalone, mostly single-story townhomes for people 55 years old and older, tucked at the far northwestern corner of Clive's city limits. It's not the only such place being developed in the metro. Nichols anticipated that homes will become available for pre-sale next month at a similar development, a Mar Vita at High Point in West Des Moines. He expected construction will start this fall. Marvin Crux has the same timeline for an independent living, assisted living, and memory care unit complex in Polk City, he said. And Hubble Realty Company has projects geared toward people 55 years and, and older in various stages of development in Des Moines, Norwalk, and Waukee, including homes at Holland Point in Norwalk, according to the company leaders. An aging population is the main driver of the expansion of such residential options, but Nichols said the style and amenities those options have are about people's changing lifestyles. 15, 20 years ago, it was beaches and golf courses, he said. Then a decade ago, it was about mountains and bike and hiking. But now, after the COVID-19 pandemic, people are taking into consideration living with restricted travel and having more amenities close to home. Nichols said the modern farmhouse-style homes in Amara Vita at Shadow Creek 4401 North Warrior Lane in Clive don't compromise size for quality. The two-bedroom, two-bath homes come in an average of 2,000 square feet of living space 
an average sale price of $550,000. Bathrooms and hallways take into consideration people who may use walkers and wheelchairs or need at home medical care. Shadow Creek is the first community at Marvin's Crux in Iowa after the company was founded in January of 2022, Sure said. But, he said, he could be developing senior living homes in the area for another 20 to or 25 years before the market peaks. Marvin Crux is actively looking at four other locations in the metro for possible senior living, Nichols said. He shared a U.S. Census database chart from a conference earlier this year in Texas that shows the number of people in the United States who are 75 years old or older growing by more than 10 million over the next decade. And Hubble Realty Development Director Mac, Matt Weller cited an AARP projection Every day in the United States, 10,000 people turn 65, and the number of older adults will more than double over the next several decades to top 88 million people and represent over 20% of the population by 2050. Rachel Flint, Hubble's Homes Vice President, wrote in an email to the Register that retirees wanting to stay close to family, families drive up home buying interest in Iowa. Given our lower cost of living, that draws first-time homebuyers and families. Both companies, companies' leaders, are touting high-end fitness and socializing amenities and spaces in their developments. Pools, pickleball courts, party spaces, and large garages. Schnur said most people looking at Shadow Creek are couples but there are also those who've lost their spouse and are looking for, for, for social activities. The target market is the snowbirds that want to live in Arizona, Florida, and other states for a portion of the year and not have to worry about snow or lawn maintenance, he added in an email. Thank you, Ed. And turning to an additional story from the Metro and Iowa section, Bicycle Coalition names a new director. This story is written by Philip Jones of the Des Moines Register. The new director of the Iowa Bicycle Coalition wants to make roads safer for cyclists and to make cycling an economic development tool for communities large and small. Luke Hoffman, age 34, of Des Moines, was named the executive director of the Coralville-based Bicycling Advocacy Group on October 2nd to replace outgoing director Mark Wyatt after almost two decades. A Thurman, Iowa native, Hoffman previously worked at Iowa Rivers Revival, a nonprofit dedicated to improving, protecting, and enhancing Iowa's waterways. The son of a pastor, Hoffman moved around a lot as a child, but called Thurman in southwest Iowa his home. There he developed a love for the outdoors and cycling. When he was a kid learning to ride his bike, he threw away his training wheels. That's one of my first memories, Hoffman said. And that look of excitement you have when you are a kid ready to be on a bike. As a kid, I loved it and rediscovered it as an adult. He holds a political science degree and a master's in public administration from the University of Nebraska-Omaha. His favorite place to ride in Iowa is on the Wabash Trace 
Nature Trail, a 63-mile converted rail bed from Council Bluffs to Blanchard. Along its highlight, among its highlights, rusting boxcars from a decades-old train wreck that sit in a creek bed next to the trail. It's built into the river bank. They can't remove it now because it would hurt the river. It's been there for so long, it's part of it, Hoffman said. Now a Des Moines resident, he is member of the Tall Dog Bike Club. Outgoing Executive Director Mark Wyatt announced in July that he would leave the job after 19 years. Wyatt plans to work in emergency medical services, where he started his career before retiring. Under Wyatt, the coalition lobbied the state to increase penalties for distracted drivers, uh, led efforts to add thousands of miles of multi-use trails in Iowa, and provide um, bike safety education for hundreds, thousands of children. A 2018 ADT security system study named Iowa the most dangerous place for cyclists in the country. Based on the number of fatal crashes, a dearth of bike lanes, and other factors. Since then, cities like Des Moines have added buffered bike lanes or protected bike lanes. But taking a cue from Wyatt's work, Hoffman said there is still work to do strengthening Iowa's distracted driving laws. It's a great place for cyclists, but it's not a great place for bicycle safety, he said. In the spring, the Iowa Senate considered a bill that would ban the use of any electronic device while driving. Voice-activated or hands-free devices would still be allowed. It called for fines of $45 to $100 for violations. It got almost all the way through the Senate this last time, Hoffman said, and the Senate is behind it. This would be finishing the job to pass that bill. Hoffman also plans to lobby the Iowa legislature to pass a bill that would require cars on multi-lane roadways to change lanes to pass cyclists. That would save lives as well, Hoffman said. A longer-range goal for Hoffman is to create a paved trail network across Iowa through the home of the Register's great annual bicycle ride across Iowa for 50 years. Iowa, unlike some neighboring states, had no dedicated cross-state bikeway, and without state funding, it will take at least 15 years to complete it, Hoffman said. In April of 2022, Governor Kim Reynolds announced the state would make a $100 million in Destination Iowa funds available through the American Rescue Plan to create tourism attractions and improve recreational amenities. A fifth of the projects received a combined total of $22.9 million where bike trails in areas including the Sioux City, Cedar Rapids, and Waterloo metros. In the Des Moines metro, the program allotted funds for the connector between the High Trussell and Raccoon River Valley trails. Hoffman would like to see the state spend some of its $1.83 billion uh, budget surplus to fund the completion of the network. Missouri's cross-state Katy Trail attracted more than half a million visitors and had an economic impact of $29.2 million in 2022, according to the Missouri Bicycle and Pedestrian Federation. 
The Katy Trail supports about 400 jobs across Missouri. The Cross State Trail in Iowa uh, could have similar economic benefits, Hoffman said. Thinking about economic development for those small towns, line uh, Manola, like uh, Malvern, like Shenandoah, and even the towns adjacent to trails are going to benefit from us making that kind of investment, Hoffman said. And now with another uh, news article, here's Ed. Continuing on in the metro section, why is the Iowa Capitol lit up in shades of blue? The Iowa State Capitol looked a bit, little bit different in recent days as blue lights illuminate the building in support of Israel following the October 7th attack by Hamas. Governor Kim Reynolds signed a proclamation Wednesday declaring the week of October 22nd through October 29th Blue Ribbon Week. She called upon Iowans to observe this moment of solidarity by wearing the blue ribbons to show the people of Israel that they are not alone and that good people across the globe are with them. In the proclamation, Reynolds wrote that Iowa stands in solidarity with the Israeli people and Jewish communities everywhere and reaffirms its unwavering commitment to Israel's sovereignty and security. Ahead of the week, the Iowa Capitol lights will turn blue each night from October 18th through October 22nd. The Capitol joins other Des Moines buildings and landmarks in going blue in support of Israel. Recent displays have included downtown's Women of Achievement Bridge and the Polk County Courthouse. Thank you, Ed. I am now turning to back to the front section of the Des Moines Register, and I'm looking at page 4A. Ethnic food sources seen as essential at universities. This is a story written by Brooklyn Drazy of the Iowa Capital Dispatch. Of all the goods the food pantry at Iowa offers University of Iowa students, staff, and faculty, rice is one of the hardest to consistently stock. As a shelf staple item that is a staple in cooking across the globe, rice, especially different varieties, is always in demand, pantry staff say. Food Pantry Basic Needs Manager Faith Surface said the pantry needs to ration rice in order to not run out before it can get more. And she has had one student tell her he would wait at the pantry until it was restocked to claim some, as it was so important to his culture and diet. It's something that undoubtedly, when we are disproportionately represented by minority groups and by international groups, we definitely need more of, said Yanzu Ki, also a basic needs manager. College food pantries are working with students, local businesses, and other organizations to diversify their stock so students across all cultures can get the food they need. International students make up almost half of those who use food pantry at Iowa. Surface said multicultural goods are the hardest to keep on the shelves due to demand, and sourcing them can be sometimes difficult and pricey. Staff try to offer items that are more universal, like the jasmine rice they mainly stock. But they also want to meet as many needs as possible, which require a range of goods. 
The majority of the pantry stock comes from HACAP, a nonprofit food reservoir in Cedar Rapids, and Table to Table, a local food rescue program that distributes items from stores and gas stations to food pantries. When purchasing items that they can't Uh, that they are not getting from donations or partnerships, Kai said. Food Pantry at Iowa staff will obtain them from local cultural grocery stores to fill in gaps and get uh, nutritious multicultural food. However, this can get difficult when they try to spend too much or when certain items are low in supply, especially with international goods, the tariffs that they have to pay to bring stuff in. The cost of bringing international goods is uh, ridiculous, Kai said. I would say in terms of sourcing equitably and affordably, we do struggle. One concern that April Lopez, Iowa State University food security and basic needs specialist, has heard from students is that the university's food pantry, the shop, doesn't stock enough culturally appropriate food. According to a spring 2022 study conducted at Iowa State University, student focus groups said their well-being was hindered by a lack of access to affordable, nourishing, and culturally representative food, particularly in campus food pantry and food availability programs. Lopez said Pantry is working to address this through partnerships with businesses like Pamel Grocery Store and Deli in Ames, which provides goods that are, uh, I'm going to spell it, uh, H-A-L-A-L, or permissible for consumptions by Muslims. International students make up the largest share of food pantry customers at Iowa State, Lopez uh, said, so having food that they will be comfortable eating is a priority, especially as many international students don't have access to all the government and that American students that American students can utilize. We are kind of their sole source of resources, she said. UNI Pantry uh, seeks out suppliers. A lack of transportation can also bar students from getting the food they need, said Connie Hansen, University of Northern Iowa Associate Director of Student International and Events Services. Before the university opened its food pantry in 2019, community food pantries were the only option for food insecure students, and many international students don't have cars. Now, in the fourth year serving UNI, staff at the Panther Pantry are surveying those who frequent the pantry to see how to expand what they're offering. It's been somewhat hit and miss with items like spices that they've sourced from a local Indian grocery store with some getting taken immediately and others not claimed at all. The pantry's next steps include finding more local, multicultural stores to partner with, Hansen said. In the meantime, she wants to make sure it's stocking what people actually want and need. Hansen said students have told her they've, they're grateful for the efforts to diversify the pantry shelves. She said students don't want to potentially make stocking the pantry harder by inquiring about certain goods when they know sourcing items can be pricey or difficult. But she won't waver from her goal of stocking the pantry with more attention paid to those who use it. Kai also said... 
she's made a huge push to make the food pantry at Iowa's shelves more inclusive with nothing but support from those around her. They don't want to seem like they're putting you out at all. They're just so great, Hansen said. But we also remind them we want to make sure that they're putting the right things in the right spaces. And now back to Ed. Our next article is titled Pediatrician Group Issues Warning on Toddler Milks. Powdered milk mixes that are widely promoted as toddler milks for older babies and children up to age three are unregulated, unnecessary, and nutritionally incomplete. The American Academy of Pediatrics warned Friday. The drinks, which are touted to parents on TikTok, in television ads, and on other sites, often contain added sugar and salt. The manufacturers make unproven claims that the drinks boost kids' brains or immune systems, said Dr. George Souks, member of the AAP's Nutrition Committee, which released the new report. Formula industry officials said the drinks could be useful for filling nutritional gaps in kids' diets, but Futes said older babies and toddlers should be given a balanced diet of solid foods as well as as well as drink breast milk, fortified whole cow's milk, and water after age one. The powdered milk mixes are sold in cans and can be mixed with water. They are often produced by the makers of top brands of infant formulas, packaged with similar labels and sold in the same store aisles. The products are typically marketed for babies older than 6 to 12 months and preschoolers up to age 3 as nutritious drinks for the next stage of development. Are they different from regular baby formula? Yes, infant formula is regulated by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration and must meet certain nutritional requirements as a replacement for human milk for babies up to 12 months. The facilities where infant formulas are made are regulated, regularly inspected. There are no federal regulations governing milk drink mixes for older babies and toddlers. Experts point to the lack of common standards for toddler milks, which means the ingredients vary widely among brands. Most contain added sugar and are targeted toward children who are at the age where they could develop a lasting taste for sweets, possibly leading to obesity and other diseases. The toddler milks also more, are more expensive than cow's milk, experts said. They're not, they're not only not as good as cow's milk and a balanced diet, they're worse, uh, says Futes, a pediatric professor at the University of Kentucky. Toddler milks are widely advertised and sales have soared in recent years from 39 million in 2006 to 92 million in 2015, according to a 2020 study. The manufacturers defend their products. Toddler milks are labeled explicitly for children older than 12 months and can contribute to nutritional intake and potentially fill nutritious nutrition gaps, according to the Infant Nutrition Council of America. The trade group's members are top manufacturers of formula and toddler drinks, including Abbott Nutrition, Perergo Nutrition, and Reckitt. 
but the AAP hopes to change people's minds. Families and healthcare providers should be better educated on toddler milks, the group said. The group also wants requirements to ensure the products are not linked to regulated infant formula or sold next to the formula. Families that want to ensure older babies and toddlers are getting the nutrition they need should rely on fortified grains and milk, milks, protein and fruits and vegetables, Fuchs said. I'll turn it back over to David. Thank you, Ed. I'm reading uh, a story here from USA Today. Crystal Nurse and Seibel Mays Osterman wrote this story, and the headline reads, Black Women Lead the Charge to Ban Chemical Hair Straightener. Juanita Gigi Hayes first started using hair straightener as a child because it made her feel prettier. As she got older, Hayes, who is black, continued using them because she felt employers perceived her as more professional when her hair was straight. Now Hayes blames hair straightening products for damaging her reproductive health, and it's among thousands and is among thousands of women suing the manufacturers. She believes long-term use of the products caused uterine fibroids, a condition that forced her to undergo a hysterectomy. I never realized that long-term use would affect me like this. My body is changed forever, said Hayes, age 41, of Birmingham, Alabama. The confidence that I had as a woman is no longer there. Last week, the FDA said it would investigate the products, which uh, research has connected to an increased risk of some types of cancer. The FDA proposed a rule that would ban formaldehyde and other formaldehyde-releasing chemicals from being used in hair soothing and straightening products sold in the United States. In hair treatments, the ingredients show up as formaldehyde, formalin, or methylene glycol, according to the FDA, and are found in some hair relaxers and keratin treatment products. Using the chemicals has been linked to long-term health concerns, such as increased risks of cancer and can cause short-term risks, such as breathing problems, the agency said. If the administration moves forward with its proposal, the products could be removed from shelves within days, though it would take much longer, according to former FDA Associate Commissioner Peter Pitts. It all depends on how aggressive the new rule is. In 2022, the National Institutes of Health published a study that found women who used hair straightening chemicals had a higher risk of developing uterine cancer and that black women may be more affected because they use the products at a higher rate. Earlier this year, U.S. Representatives Ayanna Presley, a Democrat from Massachusetts, and Chantel Brown, a Democrat from Ohio, wrote a letter to FDA Commissioner Robert Cliff Califf. We urge the FDA to investigate the potential health threat posed by chemical hair straightening products, the letter, the letter said. Presley called the FDA's proposed rule a win for public health, especially the health of black women who are disproportionately put at risk by these products as a result of systemic racism and anti-black hair sentiment. 
Proposed federal legislation called the Crown Act, versions of which have been adopted by several states, would prohibit discriminating against a person for their hair or hairstyle based on race or national origin. A federal bill proposed by Representative Bonnie Coleman, a Democrat from New Jersey, passed in the House in 2022, but has not been reintroduced this session of Congress. We are, we are, as black women, under a lot of pressure to wear our hair a certain way, said Brown, who was among the bill's sponsors. And now, just to take us up to our shift chain, I have a change. I have a very short story here, and this is from the Nation and World Briefs. Hunter Biden prosecutor to appear for testimony. The dateline is Washington, D.C. The special counsel overseeing the Hunter Biden investigation is expected to testify before a congressional committee behind closed doors as a GOP probe into the Justice Department's handling of the case continues to unfold. In a rare step, David Weiss is set to appear for a transcribed interview before members of the House Judiciary Committee on November 7th. Two people familiar with the matter told the Associated Press on Friday. The people spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss the details of the closed-door appearance. It comes months after an internal revenue service agent testified as part of a GOP probe that the investigation into the president's son was, quote, slow-walked, end quote, and mishandled. Weiss has denied one of the more explosive allegations by saying in writing that he had final say over the case. For the past 90 minutes, your readers have been uh, myself, Dave Stutz, and Ed Stutz. It's been our pleasure to read for you. Now we'll take a short break to allow our next readers to get into place.
Welcome back. Your new readers are Bobby Bailey and Mark Morrison. We will now continue with articles from the Des Moines Register and U.S. Today. Now here's Bobby with our next article. Good morning. Uh, it is Sunday, October 22nd, and because it's Sunday, we have a large opinion section to share with you all. So I will begin with the Register's editorial for today, and it, the headline is, Bozen has the best approach to lead Des Moines. Des Moines is blessed with a stockpile of outstanding candidates for city office this year, including its first new mayor in two decades. Two mayoral candidates bring particularly distinguished records to their campaigns, incumbent city council members Connie Bozen and Josh Mandelbaum. Each has strengths, and either would be a refreshing new leader for the city. The traits that Bozen has used to bring about change during 14 years on the Des Moines School Board and six years on the council are the traits that make her the better choice for mayor. She has a demonstrated history of building consensus through compromise, even often behind the scenes. She touts achievements such as new funding for local preschools and, excuse me, the Invest, D, Invest DSM home maintenance and renovation program, initiatives that directly help residents, even though they might not snag banner headlines. Mandelbaum supports those programs and is accomplished himself in developing and executing high-impact policies. The most important distinctions between him and Bozen are less about the broad outlines of the city's direction and more about the manner in which each would approach the job. I asked the candidates how they would use the bully pulpit the mayor enjoys with the news media and public. Mandelbaum said, quote, the mayor should be using the voice and advocating for policy change both at the city level and the state level and the federal level. Close quote. Bozen's reply, quote, I think we need to stay on the issues that directly impact our citizens the most and advocate for that, working with our legislators to do that. We can't do it alone, close quote. Neither is wrong, but Bozen is more skilled at getting the outcome she wants and city residents need while navigating the reality of anti-Des Moines and stop-woke attitudes in state government. Progressive voters should not mistake Bozen's skill for cowardice. The editorial board has conf confidence in her convictions and her determination to take policy stands and criticize executive branch officials and legislators when the circumstances demand it. But her prudence guides her to invest the most time into the levers the city directly controls and working behind the scenes to try to persuade on the rest. Mandelbaum doesn't lose points for his thoughtful and line-drawing proposals in recent years. While acknowledging that the city must follow state law, he led the unsuccessful drive to make marijuana possession a, a low priority for city police. He tried but failed to have the council take up a measure that would have limited policy, police, and city officials' ability to investigate someone for accessing or providing abortions in Des Moines. And he supported council consideration of an ordinance uh, to ban possession of high-capacity magazines and trigger, active, and trigger activators that enable guns to fire at a higher rate. 
He advocates strongly that the city should take principled stands on issues that affect the quality of life of city residents. The question is not whether those are sound policies. They are. Nor is the question whether hate-motivated laws or those that result in racist and uh, misogynistic events should be called out. They should be. The question is where the city's finite resources, not just the mayor and council's time, but also the priorities of city staff and the demands on litigators are best spent. One of the best aspects of this election is that both Bozen and Mandelbaum are in the middle of the four-year contact uh, in the middle of four-year council terms and can retain their seats if they are not promoted. A mayor Bozen would be wise to give close consideration to Councilman Mandelbaum's ideas on these and other topics where unjust state and federal approaches are are harming Des Moines residents. They could collaborate to go beyond making statements and bring at least portions of the proposal to fruition. The city council has moved in the right direction on key quality of life issues in recent years, from from adopting a ban on racial profiling to investing more in revitalizing neighborhoods and helping residents maintain their homes. But bigger, bolder steps are needed to build a city that's recognized as welcoming, welcoming, safe, and a beacon of opportunity for all. We acknowledge and appreciate that city police do difficult, dangerous jobs every day, and much of the time do them well. But a string of court judgments also attest to incidents of racial bias and excessive force. Many residents, particularly people of color, lack confidence police will treat them equitably or investigate their complaints fully and fairly. An independent report on police policies and performance is expected soon. It's critical that Bozen lead the council in acting aggressively to ensure the police department follows best practices in racially equitable policing, de-escalation of potentially violent situations, and deployment of counselors instead of officers to assist residents struggling with mental health issues. The mayor and council don't directly supervise police chief Dana Wingert, who reports to city manager Scott Sanders, but they must exercise vigilant oversight to ensure Sanders and in turn Wingert follow through on council directives. On two other issues, affordable housing and public transit, the city confronts tremendous need and daunting costs. Bozen presents sensible tactics and a correct and a correct sentiment for partnering with other local governments. She said, "We've got we've got to all work together to be successful. We won't be the region that companies want to come to if we're not a successful region collectively." Two other candidates are in the mayoral race. Denver Foote is best known locally as an activist with the local Black Liberation Movement. Theirs is an authentic voice for a number of marginalized groups in Des Moines, and they held their own during held their own in the weeds discussion with Bozen and Mandelbaum, despite the council members' advantages in experience and experience and interaction with city staff. They would benefit if they remain involved, perhaps gaining greater influence as a member of another city board or through continuing to exercise their voice outside government. Musician Chris Van Arks has run an uneven campaign.
Although geography should not guide anyone's vote, a win for Bozen would be a ref- would be refreshing by putting an east sider in charge. After many years where the area west of the Des Moines River, particularly the northwest side, has been overrepresented in leadership and at large council seats. Another bonus, Bozen would break a glass ceiling as the first woman to serve as mayor. Bozen has shown that she's Ably represents, she ably represents all of Des Moines residents as an at-large council member and going back to her school board service. She can forge alliances and make a real difference for neighborhoods and for people, as she's been doing for years, while focusing on the work only that city council can do. She can push back on misguided lawmakers quietly when that's called for and not publicly when they're appropriate. Voters have the best kind of difficult choice between a pair of capable and likable candidates, distinguished by their varying strengths more than major weaknesses. The outlook is bright for Des Moines leadership under Mandelbaum or Bozen. Uh, Ovals filled for for Bozen will make it the brightest. Back to you, Mark. And I'm going to move over to the letters to the editor. And the first one is, oh, here, let me just describe the uh, little cartoon that comes with it. Uh, it's got an old Victorian house, and it says United States in the yard and with the, at a sign. And this is supposed to be a haunted house. And in the background, it's got things written in the sky Racism, poverty, religious zealotry, no health care, guns for everyone, prisons, 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 imperialism. Okay, so the first letter is written by Bonnie Campbell of Des Moines, and it's titled, Mandelbaum Will Fight for a Welcoming Des Moines. I support Josh Mandelbaum for mayor of Des Moines in November 7th election, and I urge others to support Josh as well. He currently serves as the Ward 3 City Council member and possesses all the qualities that citizens expect of a hard-working, experienced official. Importantly, Mandelbaum has the leadership skills to assure that our city and state become more progressive and welcoming. For example, the governor and Republican legislators have taken away the fundamental freedoms of women and girls, the right to reproductive health care. In contrast, Mandelbaum has introduced a resolution identifying steps that Des Moines should take related to abortion care. Advocate for codification of access to abortion care in state and federal law. Provide a benefit to city employees to cover cover travel costs if they must seek abortion care outside the state, prohibit use of city funds to investigate or store information about abortion care, and make enforcement of laws criminalizing abortion the lowest enforcement priority, and productive health choices the civil rights ordinance, add reproductive health choices to the civil rights ordinance. The women of Iowa and those who love them need to join the struggle to regain the freedoms that have been taken from us, electing local leaders like Josh Mandelbaum, who will do what they can to protect reproductive freedom is a very important step. 
the next letter written by Thomas Rendon of Des Moines. Please problems are more than just bad apples. I, for one, am excited by all the new candidates running for city council in Des Moines. That's why it was helpful to have CCI Action Fund sponsor a candidate forum recently to hear directly from mayoral, Ward 1, and Ward 4 candidates. I was especially interested in hearing their responses to questions about police accountability and transparency. It was revealing as Ward 1 resident and longtime member of CCI's racial justice team, we are anxious for the City Council to fully implement our six recommendations that we have been pushing for more than five years. How disappointing to hear Ward 1 candidate Chris Coleman say that police reform is about picking out the bad apples. Not only does this ignore the documented systematic disparities in stops and payments of over $2 in penalties when the department was sued, it shows a lack of awareness surprising for such a long-serving council member. It's as if Coleman has been asleep since he left the council in 2020. We need new candidates who understand the contemporary challenges of the city and are willing to build a great city for all our residents. Next letter by Jean Swenson of Waukee. Please study up for school board elections. If you value Iowa public education, vote in the November 7th school board election. Before you cast your ballot, do your homework. Make sure that the candidates you vote for plan to prioritize the needs of the students. Listen carefully to their motivation for running for school board. If they have an axe to grind or are simply parroting politicians, they don't have students as their priority. Look for the candidates who have studied the workings of school boards by attending and observing school board meetings, have volunteered in their children's classrooms, who attend school events, and are committed to providing a quality education for all students in the district. Traditionally, school board elections have a low voter turnout. This is not the year for Iowans to stay home. The students are counting on us. The next uh, letter is written by Jay Howe of Greenfield. Climate awareness should mean holding back on air travel. Amen to Ed Fallon's common sense plea of October 15th for central Iowans to forego airport and highway capacity expansions. The climate crisis is upon the planet. It's here. It's real. Let Iowa help and lead the way through it by investing in fuel-efficient transport transport modes, i.e. high-speed passenger rail between hub cities like Chicago, Des Moines, Omaha, and with light rail systems in metro settings and for nearby reaches such as to link Des Moines and Ames. Irresponsible lifestyles encouraged by irresponsible infrastructure are causing irreparable harm. Next letter by Eloise M. Crank of Des Moines. Recent attacks can't be separated from context. Like most of the world today, I am deeply grieved and mourn the horrible atrocities and death of Israelis and Palestinians and pray for their families. 
I also pray for the hostages and their families and for their safe return to their home soon. At the same time, I am aware that this moment in history didn't really begin October 7th. It started 75 years ago with Israel's occupation of Palestinian lands. Since then, Palestinians have suffered the violence of settlements that continue to grow and expand, destruction of homes and crops, arrest and torture of children, walls, checkpoints, and more. Sixteen years ago, the blockade of Gaza began, resulting in lack of electricity, education, jobs, and any kind of decent life for the people living in that open-air prison, in quotes. And the U.S. has played a part in all of this, sending billions of dollars to Israel each year, supporting their illegal and brutal occupation of that land. Now is the time for violence on all sides to end, to declare a ceasefire, and to begin to take a realistic look at the root causes of the conflict. It is not a time to send more military aid to Israel, which will only prolong the violence, death, and destruction. The U.S. and international community must come together to negotiate with all parties. All people, Israelis, Palestinians, all people, deserve to live in freedom, peace, and security, and there can be no true peace until justice is achieved. It is time to stop the U.S. funding of Israel's military and instead focus on diplomacy to achieve long-term justice and peace for both Israelis and Palestinians. Next, letters written by Mary Macy Gardner of Des Moines. Will there ever be a safe place for Jews? Fear, outrage, shame, disgust, these are the emotions that racked my body when I first heard about the attacks on Israel on October 7th. What did this mean for my family there? Were they safe? Were they dead? Had they been murdered as 1,000 other Jewish people have been? I had no answers. This is my Jewish reality, constantly fearful and outraged. I wait for the day when I wake up to swastikas on my door. As I eat, I wonder if my family is dead. I do my homework, hoping they're alive. I go to sleep at night, knowing that the next day might bring me news of death, and there's nothing I can do except wait. Rates of anti-Semitism have been rising. My cousin, at 11 years old, faced anti-Semitism in school. The Anti-Defamation League's 2022 audit of anti-Semitic incidents found that 3,697 incidents of anti-Semitism has occurred, a 36 increase from 2021. Hamas attacks on Israel are anti-Semitic. Why else would they be killing Jews? From the beheadings of babies to the extermination of the elderly, No Jewish person is safe. The persecution of Jews has been constant throughout history. Mere days after Israel's inception, it was attacked. Wherever they have been, Jewish people have never felt safe. When Jews said, never forget, we meant it. With the actions of Hamas and others, I feel like Holocaust has been forgotten and its atrocities are reoccurring. I leave on this. Will there ever be a safe place for Jews? At this point, I doubt it.
And the last letter is written by Ivan T. Weber of West Des Moines, distinguished between Israel and Judaism. Judaism is a religion. Israel is a state. Equating the two is wrong. It encourages anti-Semitism by burdening all Jews, including Jews who oppose Israel's representative policies, with the continuing actions of the state of Israel designed to destroy Palestine. In the current sphere, what Hamas has done is despicable, but it is winning because it has goaded the Israeli government, not Jews, into overreaction. In the long run, Israel, a government, not a religion, will continue its repression of Palestinians, and this will lead to more rounds of violence. Hamas wins. The world, including Palestinians and Jews, loses. And that's it for the letters to the editor. So now it's time for Dear Abby. The title is Thanksgiving Venue Change Leads to Family Bickering. Dear Abby, for the past six years, my partner and I have hosted family Thanksgiving dinners. I always spend more time and energy than I have to to make it a beautiful success. This year, I have neither the budget nor a desire for the stress. I made it known early that we wouldn't be hosting this year. Surprisingly, my little sister volunteered to host, and she sent an invitation to the usual crowd. The next day, she called me to tell me that although she would host, she couldn't possibly be expected to do all that work, and she told me to bring the turkey. She said I was free to cook it at my place or come a bit early to cook it there. Shocked, I told her absolutely not because the reason I'm not hosting, I was planning on bringing a side or dessert as it is usual for guests, but not the main dish. She got mad and said I was ruining Thanksgiving. I feel a growing responsibility to help her, even though I don't need the stress in my life right now. And I know once I start, I'll take control with her encouragement. She has no idea the amount of work that goes into this meal every year. And I think it will be a mess if I don't help her cook and prepare. Am I being selfish? Should I go early and teach her how to cook the turkey and do everything else for the sake of rescuing this dinner, which everyone has come to expect meets a certain standard? The thought is making me miserable, but I feel myself craving, caving to my sister's tantrum. Signed, not feeling thankful. And Abby says, dear not feeling... Tell your manipulative sister you will come to her place early and show her how to properly cook the turkey, but you won't be bringing anything other than the side dish you already plan to bring. This may be a way to teach her some independence. If she needs more outside help, she should contact the other guests and tell them what she wants them to bring. You're a, ge- you're a generous and caring sister, but enough is enough. Your Thanksgiving will be happier if you share the responsibility with other relatives. 
Also, remember there are easier ways to manage holiday dinners than cooking all the food yourself. Many people buy a bird or a ham already prepared, and the same is true for the side dishes. Dear Abby, recently my wife suggested I write my own obituary. I am almost 80. Because I remember dates and places she didn't know, I drafted the document. Everything is in it is accurate, but I emphasized the positive and omitted the negative. Previous marriages, my wife thought mentioning them seemed like I was bragging. Although, although it is factually accurate and the way I would like to be remembered, we haven't been able to settle our different differing views. What do you think? Signed, Accurate in the West. And Abby says, Dear Accurate, not everyone wants to advertise they've had multiple marriages, but facts are facts. If this is how you wish to be remembered, it is your obituary. You have the deciding vote, and your wife should refrain from making any more editorial comments. And if you'd like to contact Abby yourself, contact Abby at www.dearabby.com. And I think I have time to go back to the uh, opinion section and get in a shorter article. Vote yes for a top priority for our region. Des Moines International Airport has a once-in-a-generation opportunity to transform into a modern, world-class facility that can attract more flights to new and existing destinations. Residents of Polk County can support this project. A bond referendum from the airport will be up for a vote on November 7th to enable Polk County to loan up to $350 million to the airport to help fund the construction of the new terminal. Supporting this bond referendum is a small financial decision. Or smart, I guess. I'd say I wouldn't think that $350 million was small. Borrowing the money from Polk County rather than bonding on its own allows the Des Moines airport authority to build the terminal at the lowest cost of capital. The county's higher bond rating will save approximately $70 million in debt service over the life of the loan. The loan includes all principal and interest will be repaid by airport revenues, meaning there will be minimal risk to the Polk County residents. The more competitive Des Moines International Airport is, the more likely it is that the airport will be able to grow air service, including new destinations, increased flight frequency, and drawing new airlines to serve the market. The new terminal will ensure that the airport remains an economic engine for the remains of economic engine for the region, and the bond will make funding it as economical as possible. 